Hi, everyone, and welcome to Human Centered. I'm Nick Brunker, a group director of experience strategy at BML YNR and your host for the show. Thanks for giving us a listen. Every summer, CX professionals from around the country come together for Forrester's annual CX Summit. And this year was no exception. And it comes at a time where companies and their leaders face ongoing marketplace challenges, including inflation, skills gaps, threats of potential recession, and constantly shifting customer expectations. In fact, according to Forrester's annual CX index, customer experience quality in the US has fallen for the second year in a row. So what's a leader to do? Our guests today were all on the ground at the Forrester CX Summit in Nashville. We have lots of great insights to share and thoughts on how to do just that. Excited to welcome to the show, or welcome back to the show as it were, BMLY and our Chief Strategy Officer, Ben Gahab, and Executive Director of Technology, Martin Cody. Fellas, welcome. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Pleasure to be here. Yes, excited to jump in with you guys. And as we uh, look back, and it's been a few weeks now, uh, actually almost a a month or so since uh, you guys have been in Nashville, lots to cover every year. Uh, One of the things that I know that that you guys have talked about um, over the last 12 months is is how customer expectations have kind of changed over the last handful of years and how that's impacted leaders as they think about, okay, what are gonna be my priorities for the next 12 months? Talk a little bit about, and I guess we'll start with you, Martin, and lead us off in terms of like if you you use the uh the fruit in the tree analogy how much fruit is left uh you know towards the lower branches in terms of cx yeah as you mentioned we we really seen the consequences of another year of those lower <clears throat> forester cx index scores uh, and really that customer obsession language that forester uses in their research they're talking about people being at the top of that bell curve So I think at this point, what we really are saying is that people have done a lot of the easy stuff and they really tend to explain it by seeing a lot of the similar experiences between competitors. So in several of the sessions they talked about, if you think about how you'll see how different really is one airline mobile app from another, Mm -hmm. you know, and really like you're going to see in that like similarity where we've all kind of bunched together. And what Forrester was saying is the research and the push on this is to go, we know times are hard, but if you push through, you see so much more benefit on the other side. You see so much more revenue growth. You see so much more cost savings and so much more improvement on your customer side. And it tends to build on itself. It's a cumulative effect, like a feedback loop that keeps building. And so therefore their goal, their theme of the whole event was like, be bold, right? That what you got you here today is not gonna get you where you need to go. So the focus of most of the sessions was on how to really change that organizational alignment, how to leverage partners, how to be more creative, how to be more innovative in what you deliver. Because if you don't, standing still is gonna cost you money. And that was really the main themes that uh, we saw overall. It was interesting when you look at the numbers again, the, the CX index scores that that come out, people are less loyal to the brands they currently engage with. And I, I guess how much of that is, you know, the, the step function of, well, the, uh, the customers are continuously asking for more and expecting more as they compare the brands they, they connect with to others in their life versus brands and, and business leaders are, are perhaps taking their foot off the gas a little bit. Ben, do you think that it's kind of a mixed bag or what do you see the, the, the change there? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're in interesting times. I think, um, you know, for people, particularly coming out of, uh, you know, the lovely days of COVID here, um, you know, there's a lot of new experiences out there. A lot of the areas that had some easy, actionable 
kind of benefits, you know, functional benefits. If we're thinking about like, you know, I've got a couple couple young kids, there's nothing better than kind of curbside pickup. Well, that's everywhere now. Like, you know, that's no longer a target thing. That thing's everywhere. And, uh, you know, Martin had touched on quickly, if you think about different apps within airlines, you know, digital boarding passes, no longer, you know, uh, a standalone area, having maps of, um, you know, airports no longer standalone. And so what we're seeing, I believe is, you know, it's not like some, you know, bunch of consumers woke up one day and said, you know what, I've got higher expectations. <laughs> you know, I think in reality, it's just the, uh, you know, things that were kind of easy and low hanging have kind of been taken up. And, uh, and so I think that the real question is against that is our organizations able to understand where is value now that, you know, a lot of the functional utility and particularly the more feasible functional utility has been scraped up. Now we've got a big question around, is it worth it? How much is it worth it? And really pushing the barriers around, you know, you got to go into some not drastically different spaces, but areas that may require more investment. And in, in, in today, you know, I think that's a realistic challenge. And so a lot of the leaders, I think, are wrestling with questions like what is the value of CX for my organization? What's the vision for it? And how do I unlock because those those low hanging fruits have kind of been taken up? How do you tell that story in, in a way that that can be compelling? I mean, for those leaders that are listening to this program and and kind of wondering in a time where I have to make a really strong case because you know, either leaders are pulling back their investments or uh, maybe the you know things that I look at on a, a journey map, I've, I've kind of extinguished all the, the easy pain points to solve or the negative experiences back to neutral. What would you suggest, you know, somebody who's listening to this and is like, I got to make a business case for this uh, to go in during this time where there is so much volatility in the market? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think that's probably the money question for many executives. So if, if only there was the the single bullet, uh, your silver bullet here would be great. But, you know, I think um, I think in reality, there's probably a few different points that that are at least worth keeping in mind. I think one, you know, under the present, you know, belief that the experience is the brand, one should understand what this, what is the brand promise? What 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 are you collectively trying to strive for that goes beyond just the customer experience, but in fact, you know, between uh, the communications, the messaging, the product itself, and the experience that we're trying to all collectively deliver on. You know, once that's been nailed, I think you can begin to understand what is the vision that sits behind that for the customer experience? What is it correlated to the product itself and what is it providing outside uh, just that that say utility. Um, but then underneath that, where I think a, a large gap exists that we hit each and every day with many of our client partners is um, what does success look like? Mm -hmm. What does business impact really look like? And what does the customer impact look like? And and, um, you know, I think oftentimes there's kind of freebie uh, I think metrics that are thrown out there with ever, without ever actually being defined. Uh, and so somebody will say, well, it's going to drive uh, life, you know, lifetime customer value or something like that, where you're like, okay, well, what's that? And they're like, well, I'm not sure. Or it's like, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's under, it's under definition. So, uh, so I think under that regard, I, I, you know, I would tell anybody simpler metrics, the better. There's a set of those really complicated CLV, LTV, really complicated metrics for many organizations. And so if you can distill that down to a better way of it being even just an indicator to a larger level, uh, 
objective. I think that creates a language that creates clarity amongst the organization to prioritize and justify investment, as well as creates more simplicity amongst a lot of these scaled teams where they have the challenge. After that, I think, you know, teams and organizations are pretty savvy. We got a lot of smart people out in this world and most organizations aren't short of ideas. I think it's more out of having clarity and focus for which ideas are on on that vision and, you know, and on that path and which ones aren't and which ones can or should be prioritized based on where they are and what they want to accomplish. And so that's a little bit of just rigor around that prioritization. And I think in the end, leading with where do we want to go will help a lot. While it's super obvious, it often gets distracted by what can easily be done. And I think, too, the the addition of being smart and strategic about what type of, of financial KPIs do you want to tie to that your organizational leaders are going to resonate with, depending on what type of industry you're in, whether it's banking or automotive or, or retail? I mean, the, the money story, as they say, uh, might be slightly different uh, on how you tie a CLV or a CSAT to to the end game, which is which is really interesting. Um, Martin, I want to ask another thing, uh, kind of a, a side question or a, a secondary question to that point. As we look back at the conference um, and, and think about how not only your customer experience is changing and, and businesses investing in technology differently, how much was AI in the broad sense of the word, whether it's you know uh, machine learning or neural networks, uh, h- how did that play into the discussions that you guys had while you were in Nashville? Was it a big focus or, or a factor in the discussions? Uh, it was like I think most people would say most of their year, AI hijacked the entire discussion. Uh, there was a bonus keynote before we even <laughs> kicked off the event. There were several bonus panels set up to sort of absorb it. But uh, I think just because we did this last year, it ended up being a similar sort of conversation that uh, most of the discussion was around how this is an accelerator like COVID was to move people forward. I think there's the potential to sort of revisit the employee experience because so much of this is about you know, how do you do things more efficiently? But I do think that for right now, and it's a little bit TBD about where it's gonna go, most of our industry is going to be, how do we be more efficient in what we do, not all the people are gonna go away and AI mm-hmm. is gonna do all the CX experiences for you, right? So I think there was a, a, a both sort of panic, you have to start doing it today or you're failing, and then some very realistic, how do we start to incorporate it very much like Ben was just saying, which is like, how do we just factor this in to what we're doing and how we sort of move forward? Um, and I think it's similar to that idea of the, there's some low hanging fruit about efficiency, which can be some cost savings arguments, which can like roll right into it. How do you talk about it? But it's really about communication, about how to start experimenting with it. Then I think trying to completely uh, revolutionize everything. So a lot of discussion, not a whole lot of like super practical things, but I do think there were a couple of uh, sessions where the discussions one-on-one were actually pretty good between analysts and, and customers that were in uh, one-on-one sessions. I do get a sense too that we're, we're at that inflection point when we talk AI and you, you ask people like Brian Yamada in our organization or others that AI I feel like is, is likening in terms of the way we talk about it to what we say digital was like 15 years ago. Yeah where you don't can't just say digital. Um, it, there are different types of digital and how does that ingrain with you know existing services and value propositions? Did you get the sense too that you know leaders that you're crossing paths with, whether at the conference or elsewhere, they're hearing the words AI, but it's becoming just ubiquitous. And so you have to get a little bit more specific in terms of A, what you mean, and probably more importantly, 
how there's value there and how you how you leverage it. A hundred percent. I mean, a hundred percent that it is, um, you know, that the the we are in the the peak of the hype cycle around it and the reality is what it actually does well and what it doesn't do well right now is very different right like there's very tactical things that it does very well and there's things that it doesn't do well and we're just the only thing that was interesting about this is the cycle usually takes like a year on technology or more for us to sort of get to the this is what we're really going to do differently and this isn't and this is all happening so quickly you know, and that's sort of like accelerating that whole process. Um, but yes, it's precisely around the, and that's what I meant about the um, the employee thing. Like I think we yeah. even talked about this enabling employees. How are they going to use this or not use this? And what's approved is the most interesting discussion to have. I think the machine to machine AI in the sense of like, you know, where we could go on automation, and once the automation gets smarter, that's going to be very different from sort of a you know. B2B sort of supply chain, how things work, that's going to be a real revolution. But for individuals, I do think there are things that are interesting. You know, we have found the generation of ideas and how we share things and how we sort of do things faster. All of that is just pretty standard efficiency. We could have probably found other ways to do it. Um, and it's not the, oh, we just suddenly like let it run and now all of our ad campaigns are coming out of the AI and targeted to individuals. We're not doing that. We're not unleashing it on the world in that way. So, so yeah, I think that you really have to rein people in to sort of set expectations and to get the value out of it now while not sacrificing the idea of let's be open to the opportunity because there could be exciting things that happen. What's interesting, I think, even today, you can see things from like the writer's strike and many other other cases that are wrestling with some of these complexities. And and I to me, what I think was one of the key takeaways from that bonus keynote that Martin just just had mentioned was that if you're just not having the conversation, you have to start. Mm -hmm. You know, the feeling is that no one has gotten it right in the integration of AI from from everyday, you know, matters right now, never mind, you know, generative AI. Um, but yet when it hits, it's going to be a really hard fast follow. Uh, and so I think the idea that even if you're having relatively immature conversations and really early on, you know, that's a good thing. So like people should be having the discussion to wrestle with it and be okay that they're not really sure in its application right now. And, and that I think was the undertone and the message of just like, no one has a clue. So just like, yeah, there's a thousand <laughs> vendors here and different suppliers, all these people are claiming it. In the end, no one's really sure, you know, the direction and shape and size and what it's going to look like. But yet, you know, it's a, it's a pretty monumental moment right now. Could be a new, like a fundamental shift in the way in which we create experiences. And, uh, and so it's just right now at a minimum you've got to start having the conversation and you can't say hey i'm going to wait and see how this plays out it'll probably be it'll be really hard for you to move fast thereafter and martin you were mentioning too the the importance of engaged employees and how the organization at large needs to get together and even ben you had touched on something at the top that that led us to to this topic which was in the early days of CX, it was kind of a you know a siloed team in a lot of ways, and uh, some of the investments were were smaller pet projects, and obviously took time to, to gather organizational steam. You know that we shifted those conversations to all right, let's drive CX from the top and make it a you know an organizational mandate or a, a way of operating, and yet still it seems like 
you know, in, in some of our day to day conversations, there is this this feeling of it's it's still an uphill battle getting teams to connect in the discussions you heard in Nashville, as well as the day to day stuff that you're talking. Uh, let's start with you, Ben, on this one and, and talk about how now being a critical time to get the entire organization speaking the same language and, and working together in a way that perhaps they hadn't before, if you want to overcome some of these CX tips we've seen. Yeah, it's, you know, I think it's interesting to the comment earlier about low hanging fruit. Uh, you know, a lot of wonderful things can happen from, I think, just interconnecting an organization and making sure not only from the experiences, but internally we're capturing as much value as we could or creating as much value as we could across there. So, you know, I think out of the themes and we had a, a great case study, fortunately, that was able to be featured um, you know, on stage at the event, which was, a, you know, our deep partnership uh, with Ford in their experience. And, and I think when we start to look at the background, for where that came a lot from Ford Pass app and, and pretty much all that was going to be as the gateway to mobility, to how it's evolved today, to other digital touch points, to larger experiences, you know, and we've seen this in, in a number of our uh, client partners where, to be honest, to, to go find new spaces and create new, you know, new experiences at times can, can actually be easier. It's frankly, for a lot of people, it's more exciting. Yet a lot of value could become from just connecting things. And so, you know, I think, you know, I think in, in this kind of next tick up is as organizations are facing higher scrutiny on their investments, you know, available resources, cost containment, et cetera. You know, I think I think in reality is going to be how does an organization come together? The next area is, you know, frankly, an experience doesn't see the world as just a brand experience or comms or customer experience or commerce, right? They're just all, they're all an experience. We don't, we're not, you know, people outside their nine to five here aren't, aren't really thinking on, on those lines. And so, you know, the, the key undertone then is an organization has to come together to deliver a holistic experience. And uh, in, in that requires what is a CX organization whether that be a standalone or part of a bigger one, to talk to marketing. They have to talk mm -hmm. to technology. They might have to talk to the digital team. You know, they might have to go talk to the product team. Having these standalone, you know, I think the expectations have totally caught up to that. And expect people to, or expect the ability to traverse those without friction. Yet to do that, in many cases, cuts across many of the silos that, that exists for good reason, just in terms of how the experiences were kind of developed and how those different organizational groups. So the worst thing an organization can do is show up to the world like they are organized internally. Um, but to overcome that, it takes a lot of focus. So we had talked, you know, a lot in that presentation, but got a, got brought up a lot of times, which is just frankly, how do we break down those silos? How do we get the most out of that? How do we think about an eye toward then scaling that and leveraging the strengths of each one of those teams together all toward this idea that, you know, if the experience is the brand and, you know, people aren't auditing, oh, wait, no, that's just the commerce experience. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's almost an imperative to start figuring out. We're working with some some of our partners now on okay, so what's the operating model? Like, how do we play well? How do we have a similar language in terms of value? How do we prioritize together? How do we share metrics, you know, et cetera, to, to start to bring groups together. And, uh, you know, it's 
shockingly challenging to do that yet I, I feel like the returns will be uh, a lot better without having to think up new ideas or do large-scale investments um, to really break through that and it makes total sense Ben because when you're you're looking at if it's the same piggy bank and you're trying to you know move the needle together it might be a lot easier to tell that story when you've got hey all of our teammates well, let's just use tech marketing and sales as, as three you know verticals within the organization if you're telling the same story and you're leveraging each other's uh, current budgets and you think about we're all swimming in the same direction you're, you're going to see potential money stories that are much more com uh, compelling and impactful. And I think, you know, you look at, at the data that, that's out there, you know, enterprises that, that have high levels of alignment are, are seeing those things. I, I read an article the other day that says 2.4 uh, higher, uh, 2.4 X higher revenue growth, double the, the, the growth and profitability than with those with some or no alignment. I mean, the story is there. And Martin, I, I, I imagine to kind of piggyback off of Ben's point at the end, that's a really challenging thing to be able to do, as admittedly, there are a lot of people in big organizations that have a lot of different things going on in their respective lives. What would your advice be to CX pros uh, that are looking to kind of spearhead those conversations and bring some of those organizational uh, silos together? What would you say to those folks? Well, to, to build off of what Ben said, if you open up the conversation and the dialogue and you're sort of saying we're all headed in this direction together one of the other things that i think ends up happening is you can see some of the wins that happen in one area are actually relevant to everyone else and one of the big motivations of this is you don't get to that two times revenue at once it's not like we go off in a corner and suddenly come up with a plan and then mm -hmm. come out and we're making twice the money these are small incremental wins and you got to build off of the next one and you got to build that momentum and the more that people are going this worked and was better let's do it again let's repeat that and let's use that to sort of make the investments we need to do to be able to do that and i think the cx pros are in a unique position to have the insight to see across that so they can help share those real stories that allow it to work and i also think that like that's where one of the other themes of the conference was and why we had some of that keynote the service providers that people work with tend to be able to see some of those things as well mm -hmm. where we can help uh, augment what the cx pros are seeing in the organization to go this is working over here. Here's something we're doing. This is what we could do more of. So you really are trying to put together a larger team that might be doing all of the pieces you need to make those small wins, build on that, and actually get towards those goals. You're just not connecting it, right? And so I think there is low-hanging fruit, but it's not the obvious thing that everybody agrees this was broken and now we need to fix it. Now it's more the stuff that's hidden in plain sight. Right. You need to have somebody come up and see the forest for the trees to be able to go, oh, if we start to do that, we'll be able to, to, to make that. I also think the other important part is that we tend to focus in right now on what can we add to the, make the experience better. But there was also a couple sessions about like subtractive innovation, about what hmm. can you take out? How could you make the experience flatter, easier, right? Like maybe that's where we need to go. And can we just be bold and more about like who we're going to actually talk to? You know, positive emotions are as much a driver as a utility, right? You know, one of the things we said as an aside, uh, we showed uh, the U-Mode video 
on uh, this a Ford video where they showed a, a family and mm-hmm. they were well, they were deaf and they were showing sign language in the car, and we got out of it and somebody came up to Jim, our Ford client, and said to him, "I am going to buy a Ford car because my husband is deaf and this video connected with me, mm-hmm. right?" And it's like. That's emotion, right? There's all sorts of utility in how that functions and how you bring that to life. But the emotion of how you're able to tell that story is equally important. And that's a whole nother bucket of, I think, quote, low hanging fruit, which is the idea of just connecting with people as people may not cost you that much money. Mm -hmm. So the same thing we're talking about with speaking to people inside an organization, there's a lot of room to do it, I think, on the outside, too, beyond sort of these heavy tech engagements that we need to do. You need to do some of that, right? There's a certain amount of like parity in order to not have a bad experience. But I think there's a lot of room to sort of leverage that emotional side of being creative, of being connective, that sometimes is is missed out and actually helps bolster the CX story. I think it's a, a brilliant example. And I'd love to hear more about, about that conversation that I know uh, John Cook, our, our global CEO, was on site in Nashville discussing just that. Uh, one of the other angles, though, before we, we run out of time that I wanted to, to ask you guys about was engaged employees, the employee experience and all this. Because I think we talk about you know, all of the things that, that leaders are doing to you know, create experiences that, that benefit customers, either by subtractive innovation, like you said, or adding new things and new ways to, to deliver value in an experience. But uh, something that, that has been ringing around in my head over the last you know, three or four months um, ha- has been about uh, enablement of, of those, those humans. So as much as we talk about AI and, and how machines are gonna take over the world, there is this, this exciting element of being able to, to leverage the technology growth in order to help employees be more engaged and deliver better experiences. And this time I was looking back at our conversation we had this time last year, uh, and we were talking about employee experience. And it seems like it's still something that that leaders haven't quite cracked. Uh, and that I think as we continue to evolve in the in the digital space, the AI space, uh, and again, using those terms broadly, uh, there's a lot of upside there that I think leaders that are in uh, customer experience focused on customer obsession can actually kind of look within and say, where can we make our employees uh, better equipped to do their jobs? Would you agree, Ben, as you think through uh, what EX has been over the last year? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, for sure, for sure. Equally so, I could probably justify the exact opposite of that, which is just there are more tools or more things out there that may actually lead people to either be more siloed and or utilize them in ways that are, you know, less, you know, helpful or collaborative. You know, I think to some of the notes I just talked about a little bit on generative AI, I mean, there's cases right now that are coming out where people are using it with, you know, given the maturity probably in ways that they shouldn't use it yet. Uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and and so in many regards, I think about some of these tools as being super useful. But I think this is also where organizations have to make decisions around, okay, like what are we gonna ally, you know, what are we gonna fall behind? We had, I had a discussion with someone earlier today on a very similar note, which was, we have a we have a large suite and a huge technology base, just like our clients do. Not even for you know internal purposes, but even to create external capabilities. Mm-hmm. If I take those back to an internal way, 
Some people are working on different tools. They, again, it's different language. Some of yep. them are compatible, some are not. You go to client one, then you go to client two, and you're like, oh, you're using something totally different. People got to learn. And, you know, the hardest part is we can't come up to speed and we can't just jam as, as well together as we would. So, you know, I think as these new tools come up, you know, I'm not one that's kind of more prescriptive about it. I just think the idea of more consistency and in, in some guardrails are helpful and then let people just go be brilliant people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but without that, I, I actually fear, Nick, people will go into a lot of different holes in utilizations, which will yeah. create kind of a hot mess. That's so, fair. you know, I think this idea of being intentional about EX is only amplifying more and more as like higher sophisticated tools become more accessible and easier to use. You know, the the threat actually, I, in my mind, goes up. Yet, obviously, the potential does, too. So, Martin, what are your thoughts on that? Because I look at at the empowerment of the employee to be able to do those things, whether there are tools that are, um, you know, multifaceted or they get all over the place, which definitely has, to Ben's point, a chance to get to get off the rails. It does seem like that there there are definitely areas where um, people are, are kind of stuck in process versus just looking at the bigger picture of how, as an employee, can I make progress to help the customer? What are you, What are your thoughts on that or just a build on what Ben was saying? Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I definitely agree with what Ben was saying. I feel that, like, the, the 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 power of these tools to potentially do things that are not what was expected is not what we see in typical enterprise tools, right? Like, your typical, you know, production tools don't necessarily allow you to create something that hallucinates copy, or, you know, create things that are questionable from a copyright point of view. It's generating and making people maybe rethink some of those like guardrails. But the idea that this would allow people to do a level of analysis, democratizing data and text in a way, really brings to question, are we valuing them for their output? Are we valuing them for the time they put in? And as Ben said, to be intentional about this, it's going to raise some really interesting questions. And you're suddenly going to get employees who are operating at potentially two very different levels. People who are using these tools to be productive in a way that someone who's not using them simply can't keep up with. What do we do with that? You know, how are we going to approach that? And, you know, at the same time, from a company point of view, the the possibilities of what we could do with people who can simply like I said, be able to do the work of multiple people with one set of analysis because I don't have to go through all the hoops. The technology is going to collate all the data, put it together, do the query, create the visualization of it. You know, that's really interesting. Um, And so, you know, I do think that that we're just at the beginning of that. And I, I, I love what Ben said about intentionality, right? It's like, if you don't start thinking about this, you're going to be on the wrong side of it. You're going to have employees come to you with, who are unhappy because they're being punished, you know, mm-hmm. either, you know, intentionally or not intentionally, and other people who are going to feel that they're, you know, not being rewarded for the value they're providing. And so just like you have to play with AI, I think you have to play with it in terms of what it's going to mean for your organization. Because like all of that is definitely coming. And we need to, like you said, put up guardrails, play with the ideas of what we think this is going to be. And uh, the more proactive you are about it, I think the more uh, uh, value you'll get out of it, right? I think in in bringing employees into the mix is probably the right thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. At this point, you know, they're, they're actively, they're nervous about it. They're worried. 
give them a chance to sort of chime in is probably the right option, you know, because at that point, if you're sort of co-creating a solution about what the options are for how your teams want to use this, it's probably going to get adopted a lot better and you're going to have less friction. So I certainly think that, you know, uh, for a company that's willing to embrace it, make it as open as you can. And I think you'll get the most value out of it. Love it. We could go on for probably another 20 or 30 minutes, but we are out of time. But before we wrap, I do want to shift gears and do instead of our fun facts, because you both have been on the show before and those that have listened religiously, as I'm sure you all have, uh, you probably have heard their fun facts about who they are and what they like. If not, go back to a previous episode. You can hear all about that. Instead, uh, wanted to potentially toss out a few trivia questions in relation to Nashville, the city you were in and the city you uh, hopefully enjoyed for a few days while you were listening to CX uh, and, and talking about all the, all the great stuff that's happening in the space. Are you guys up for the challenge? Three Nashville-based trivia questions. You have no choice. The answer sure. is yes. Okay. And forced participation. Yeah, forced participation is just how we do it. Um, all right. So three questions. Battle of, of Martin v. Ben. Uh, we'll see question one. And I don't know. I have to see if I have an extra bonus question in case you guys are tied at the end. But all right. Question number one. We'll let you answer first, Ben, on this one. And then both of you guys can get, get an answer in. NFL's uh, and Nashville's NFL franchise the Tennessee Titans, relocated from what city? Ooh, from what city? Uh, is that like Houston Oilers? Is that right? Is that the Oilers? Is that where it came from? Martin? I, I'm going to hope that Ben's wrong. I got nothing. It is the Houston Oilers. Very good. Very good. Ben gets round one. Round two, a slightly harder question. It was news to me that Nashville was granted the very first FM broadcasting license in the United States. Martin, what year did this happen? <laughs> 1920. All right. I'm going to give Ben a chance to answer. The f closest will win. <laughs> 1920, this says Martin. Horribly embarrassing. I appreciate this, Nick. <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll go with uh, FM. We'll go with, like, 1962. The correct answer is 1941. So I don't have to do the math, but I think, Ben, you may have gotten that one, too, based on closest, unless we're doing Price is Right rules, in which case Martin wins because <laughs> you can't go over. I don't know. Maybe we'll give it to Martin just so the third question actually matters for the winner of the trivia challenge. All right, so Martin gets that one, Price is Right style. Final question. Centennial Park in Nashville, not far from where you guys were, in fact, is home to the world's only replica of which pinnacle of classical architecture? Benjamin. The Parthenon. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> well done. Well I can, done. I concede graciously. All right. Very good. Day. Did you know, Martin? Did you have, did you know the answer to I that one? I did not. Uh, no. That's an, that's impressive. Well done, Ben. Well done, Ben. In addition to your strategic chops, you are a trivia trivia master as well. At least as it relates to these three trivia questions. Thank you, thank you guys, and thanks again for being with us. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate you uh, kind of giving us all the insights from your time in Nashville and at the CX conference. Uh, that Forrester put on and, and you guys attended. We'll uh, obviously have to do this again, but uh, once again, thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. 
Thank you, Nick. Thanks, Nick. And thank you all for listening to the show as well. To learn more about Human Centered, our CX practice, and our approach to the work, you can check us out online at dmlyr.com slash CX. We'd also love to hear your feedback on the show. Give us a rating and offer up your thoughts wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and more. Have a topic idea or just want to drop us a line? Connect with me on X at Nick Brunker or just shoot us an email. The address is humancentered at dmlyr.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.